queens, welcome to Dose of Deception with the queens of queens, Shannon and Emily. Join our true crime family where we discuss murders, missing persons cases, mysteries, and a whole lot of conspiracy theories. So stay tuned for the wild ride. Hey queens, welcome back to this episode of Dose of Deception. Before we get into it today, if you're a new listener, we just want to let you know what we do here on the show. In the first half, Emily comes in with a true crime case, whether it be a murder mystery or a missing persons case. And in the second half, I come in with a conspiracy theory that we discuss. We also just want to let you know about our different social media accounts. We have an Instagram at Dose of Deception. We also have a Facebook group where we engage with our listeners that is also at Dose of Deception. We also have a new YouTube channel that right now it has clip shows of our previous episodes, but we are looking to expand it in the future. So if you've missed any of our previous episodes, definitely check that out. So Emily, what are we talking about this week? So this week we're going to continue about the disappearance of Brian Schaefer. Uh, now we, we have the two theories so far about the construction site. Right. And the second one about possibly the staff in the uh, Ugly Tuna either Eden. murdered him yeah. or he died accidentally and then they they covered it up right now we're gonna get into more of uh, brian's personal life because maybe some things aren't as they seem on the surface mm, okay everyone was initially suspicious about the timing of brian's disappearance because his mother had only passed away three weeks earlier so initially they thought that maybe he just temporarily needed to get away from everyone also i was thinking this because you know when you're in school and you're just test mode and like assignment mode especially that he was pulling all-nighters the entire week because of exams Uh so i feel like he didn't really have time to even process the death and grieve yeah maybe that's true yeah it was the first day of break maybe he finally just needed to take some time to himself Mm -hmm. now initially they thought that this was the case except for once he missed his flight and it was made clear that his disappearance was not temporary right uh this theory kind of fell through Mm mm-hmm Randy and Meredith took lie detector tests and they passed. So remember, Randy is his father and Meredith is the woman that he was with at the bar. Right. What about Clint? Clint, on the other hand, ah. <laughs> he refused to take one. Oh. Now, initially, everybody, odd. it is a little odd, but when I looked into it more, I don't find it as suspicious anymore because, first of all, he didn't take it because his lawyer advised him not to because since he was with him and he was the one seen on the footage with him like five minutes before the bar closed... He initially, right off the bat, is going to be suspicious, right? Yes, but so, if you have nothing to hide... That well, listen. So, <laughs> so his lawyer told him not to take one since polygraph tests are not always 100% reliable. And it's a true. lot of the times, they incriminate innocent people. True. Now, initially, I was like, that's weird. He did something, right? Mm-hmm. But thinking about it, the fact that Meredith, who was with Clint the entire night and also was his ride back... True. Took the polygraph test and passed with flying colors. Yeah. It makes me think she kind of proved his innocence, if that makes sense. Yes. If Clint did something, Meredith 100% would have known about it. Exactly. Considering she was there the entire time. Definitely. And we'll get into a little bit of theory later about um, Derek, Brian's brother. Right. Why he believes that Clint didn't take the polygraph test. Okay. Authorities also contacted Amber and Brighton, who were the last two women who were seen with him. Right. uh, On the security footage three minutes before the bar closed. And they were ruled out as suspects. What happened to them after? They just went home? Uh, yeah, so they just went home. Okay. They went. Did they, they did go back into the bar. Okay. They weren't with him when they went back into the bar. Okay. They separated. I, I saw somewhere they went to the bathroom, but I think they might have just been hanging out there. Okay. And right. they did go home eventually, Okay, yes. I just wanted to make sure their, like, actions afterwards were accounted for in the Yeah, concept. it was. Okay. They were seen leaving on the escalator, too. Okay. Brian's girlfriend, Alexis, continued to call Brian's phone every night before she went to sleep in hopes of reaching him. However, she had no luck, and the calls would always go straight to voicemail. Eerily, on one September night, Alexis did her daily nighttime call, but this time, the phone rang three times. Oh. Yeah. Alexis took to her MySpace page, which had become her place to vent and talk about Brian. Okay. And she wrote, quote, 
I kept calling it to hear it, purely because it was the one of the best sounds I had ever heard, even if no one picked up. That's so odd that yeah. it would have suddenly started ringing. That means it was charged. Somebody's using it. Possibly. Now, nobody answered the call, and the phone company chalked it up to be a technical glitch. Oh, please. Okay. <laughs> now, maybe if this happened once. Mm-hmm. However, a little while later, Brian's phone pinged in Hilliard. I believe it's how you say it. And this is about 14 miles outside Columbus, Ohio, where he was last seen at Ugly Tuna. Huh. Okay. Sketch. And once again, this was shrugged off as a computer glitch. Which I maybe would have believed if it happened one time. Not really. Right. But the fact that this happened twice, that his phone was active twice, yes. is very suspicious. But to be fair, though, the phone company doesn't really have a reason to lie about that. No, they don't. But I just... I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like it could have been on. Or also, like, if they just don't have an explanation, they're going to say it was a technical glitch. Exactly. Just as a basic explanation. Yeah. This case received national coverage because of how crazy it is that somebody can just vanish without a trace. And so much so that Eddie Vedder, the lead singer of Pearl Jam, yes. he actually took time between the songs he was performing at a concert in Cincinnati to urge people to come forward with any tips they have, even if it was the smallest thing ever, because you mm. never know, the smallest tip could solve an investigation. can lead you to the end. Definitely. This did bring in more tips, and authorities followed them all. They reported possible sightings of Brian in Michigan, Texas, and even Sweden. But when authorities looked into them, they were unfortunately all dead ends. Mm. Desperate and in pain, especially after losing his wife only three weeks before. Oh, right. I forgot about that. That's so sad. It is really sad. So Randy continued day and night to search for his son. He went to a psychic, which he did not necessarily believe in. He yeah, he didn't believe, but Can at I this point... Can I just say something about psychics real quick? What? I watched this piece about psychics the other day, and okay. it just frustrates me to no end. The only reason they exist is to exploit people that are grieving and in pain yeah. for money. It's upsetting. That's the only reason why they exist, and you can understand why people in that state of mind would fall for something like that. Yeah. So it's understandable, but they're just exploiting and manipulating people, and it frustrates me to no end, but whatever. Anyway, continue. It is really sad. <laughs> so yeah, he ended up going to the psychic, and he, even though he didn't believe in it, But at this point, he was willing to do anything or go to anyone for any information about Brian. Mm -hmm. The psychic told him that Brian's body was in water near a bridge, which is so vague. Yeah. Uh, However, Randy, along with the help of Derek, so um, Brian's brother, Mm -hmm. and also just a bunch of other people in the community who became really invested in finding Brian just from seeing it on the news, spent nearly all their free time in Olentangy River, which Mm. flows through Columbus, Ohio. And it's actually a river that's right near Ohio State University, where he was Mm. a student. They searched everywhere they could for Brian, but they found absolutely nothing. Mm. At a complete loss, authorities even looked into the smiley face murder theory. Do you know what this is? No. So this is a really popular theory. It has not been proven. Okay. But it posits that there's a serial killer or a group of serial killers who drown their victims. This theory came to fruition when a large number of men from the late 1990s and early 2010s were found in bodies of water, and the signature mark near them was a graffitied smiley face. Mm. All these men shared a common look similar to Brian's. They were uh, white college-aged men with a muscular athletic build, and they were all leaving bars when they were killed or drowned. Mm. Now, this is just a theory, and all of these men could have either accidentally drowned or, you know, been drowned by multiple people. Mm -hmm. Plus, thinking about it, smiley face graffiti is everywhere. Right, and also, though, even if that theory is a thing, like a real thing, Mm -hmm. the people involved with that, if you're leaving graffiti and a signature like that, that sounds like people that would want the body to be found and to want the public attention, so they 
at this point, they would have put him in a place that the police would have been able to locate yes. Brian at this point. And they didn't find any smiley faces anywhere anyway. Yeah. So this was just a theory because authorities really had no clue what was going right. on. Right, it's fair to look into it, but 100% he would have been found if they put it somewhere that yeah. they would want the public to find it. Yeah, and also, like you said, he would have been found because if this was true, he would have been the first victim ever to have never been found. Right. So that's already right off the bat. doesn't sound like them. Yeah. But they were so desperate that even the FBI looked into this theory. Mm. And as of today, though, the FBI, along with the Columbus police, rejected. Now, I cannot even imagine what Randy was going through. To lose your wife and son all in the same month. And honestly, I can't even imagine the pain it is to not know if he's dead or alive. Yeah. Like, even for Derek, because there's a closure that comes with yeah, death. Yeah, Derek's the one I really feel bad for. Yeah. And there's a closure that comes with death that at least you know the person is gone. Right, you know not, You don't know if he's out there getting tortured, getting yes. hurt in some way. Right. And unfortunately, in September 2008, only two years after Brian went missing, Randy went out into his yard just for a brief time during a windstorm and was fatally struck when a branch blew off and fell, hitting him in the head. Dang. That's rough for Derek. And sadly, his body stayed there overnight, and it was not until the next day that neighbors found him and called authorities. God, can you imagine? That's just losing the three people that you're closest to in your entire life in the span of two years. Yeah, because, it, yeah, pretty much. He lost the, his the whole entire family in two yeah. years. And to this day, Derek is the only remaining family member. Jeez. And it's really sad. You can find a photo of him holding the last picture that they took together. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's Renee on her... It's it, her in the hospital. Yeah. So And she looks very, very sickly. So it's them pretty much on her deathbed. And it's um, Brian and Derek sitting with her and they're smiling. And Randy was the one who took the you picture. You the picture? Okay. Derek carries around a lot of guilt and other emotions to this day. In 2016, he said, quote, I thought about that night over and over for 10 years. Mm-hmm. What if I had been there that night? Would things have been different? Mm-hmm. Would my brother still be here? I've carried that guilt around for a while. And I was trying to, you know, put myself in those shoes. And right. God forbid if something happened to my sister, I would carry that guilt around me for the rest of my life. And Derek's wife even says that to this day, even though it's been 15 years later, he just has not been the same. He right. he wakes up every morning and says, what if I was there? And honestly, if he was there, most likely it would have been different, in my yeah. opinion. And it's obviously from an outside perspective, it's so clear that he has zero guilt attached yeah. to this. Like, it has absolutely nothing to do with him. There is nothing that he could have done differently that would have prevented the situation. But when you're in that mindset, your thoughts are obviously going to lead there. <laughs> yeah. And after Randy's funeral, they had an obituary online where people could send things in. Mm-hmm. And a note came in that read, To Dad, Love Brian, U.S. Virgin Islands. That's so messed up. It is messed up. Because it gave Derek all this false hope that right. possibly uh, Brian was still alive somewhere. That's so clearly somebody just messing around. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but if you're in that mindset you're gonna be hoping of course of course but that's messed up on the person definitely they thought it was a joke and authorities found out that it was fake that's so stupid and although it was a hoax many people do believe that brian is alive and enjoying life out there somewhere i really don't believe that one really (laughs) that doesn't make sense to me that is interesting because this is a theory that's most popular really yeah i don't see why that would be the most popular theory well let me try to change your mind okay it's gonna take a lot (laughs) honestly i hope that this is true Maybe Brian was tired of the stress for medical school. Maybe he was not ready to get married yet. Who knows? Maybe he wanted to follow his dream of being a musician, and he's laying on a beach somewhere enjoying life. But those still all, those all sound like things that you could do without just disappearing. Well, you could just quit med school. You could just break up with your fia- girlfriend. You're not even engaged yet. You could do all that stuff. Well, it is wishful thinking, considering that he loved his family and was very close to yeah. them. But it is better than thinking about all the bad things that could have happened Sure, him. 100% I'd rather him be alive out there somewhere. But, like, still, like, I don't know. If that's the case, he could have gone about this very differently. Maybe. 
Some evidence that might support this belief that Brian left of his own accord is that he was so distraught by his mother's death that he showed up an hour late to the funeral and he told his girlfriend Alexis to just go away with him. I mean, I feel like that's a normal response to somebody that's grieving. Yeah, I feel like it is too. There are plenty of people that don't like attending funerals, don't want to be a part of that, even if it's somebody really close to you. So Definitely. That one doesn't feel off to me. And a few days before he went missing, he told Alexis to just move on and find someone else. Which a lot of people thought was suspicious because he did he he was apparently going to ask her to marry him the next week. Okay, but that could just be him understanding and knowing that he doesn't want to be in that relationship anymore, or that he thinks it's moving too fast and he doesn't want to be engaged mm-hmm. anymore, or preparing her for the fact that he feels like he's going to break up with her. Possibly. So that doesn't necessarily lead to that train of thought to me. Brian was also a major credit card debt from college, and he worked at J.C. Penney. <laughs> he worked at J.C. Penney for, I believe it was four years, but it was the wages were not enough to cover his tuition, let alone even yeah, just his textbooks. Yeah. So maybe he just wanted to get off the grid and just escape this life because there, there's, it was just so much stress for him, considering that he didn't even want to be in medical school. Okay, it but was that's a lot such hard work to do that. I agree. To, to fall off the grid is literally harder than just it facing so your problems. <laughs> it really is so hard to fall off the grid. Absolutely. Uh, you, there's... You, First of all, you need to have the money to be able to do something like that, which financial trouble seems to be the, one of the reasons why he's doing it in the first place. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know, you can't do that without leaving any kind of trace whatsoever. Now, he would have to, had to do so much research, right. like get a credit card to a new name, right. get new f- oh, phones and everything, for there for him to have gone missing like this and just exactly. gone off the grid. And authorities took his laptop because there would have to be some research that went into right. it, and they found nothing suspicious on his laptop yeah. that indicated that he was researching any of this. Unless maybe this was like a spurred the moment decision. Possibly. It could maybe. have been. Especially if he was like drunk. You don't know what he right. was on. So exactly. Maybe. Plus it would have been very hard for him to not be recognized because yeah. he, this case got national coverage. Yeah. And so everybody even if was looking did, for him. Even if it was spur of the moment at this point, somebody would have found him somewhere. Most likely. Now, if you recall earlier, I said to remember the dinner that Brian and right. Randy had, right? Mm-hmm. The dinner that Brian and Randy went to the night he went missing was not just a happy celebration, as Randy told media and mm. tried to, and he also told authorities to uh-huh. try to make it seem better. Right. But it was actually a dinner for them to see if they were going to have any relationship going forward. Oh. Mm. I know that Brian found out recently that Randy was seeing another woman while Renee was sick. Yeah. yeah. Now I don't, <laughs> I don't know if this was if Renee knew, and it was kind of you know I feel like a lot of the times if some if somebody is sick they're like they just want you to move right. on and be happy. Yeah. So I'm not Fair. sure if she knew about what was going on, but either way. It definitely caused strain in their relationship. Yeah, for sure. And to my knowledge, and this is not super public information, but they were really, really struggling and coming to terms with the fact that they most likely were not going to be in each other's lives anymore. Yeah. And after the dinner, Brian was actually supposed to hang out with his brother Derek, mm. which never happened because Derek okay. canceled on him. Well, this explains why he's all Guilty. upset still at this point. Yeah, because honestly, if he if he did go with him, then he wouldn't have never been at the bar and he most likely would still be here today. Fair. Where was Derek instead? Well, Derek has an alibi. He was captured on video at a bar. I believe the bar was called Funny Bone, and he was with his girlfriend. So I don't know why they didn't end up hanging out. Yeah. But he was at a bar with his girlfriend, so it's not like he was anywhere near uh, the bar that Brian was at. Yeah. And it is sad to think about, especially with all the circumstances in this case. But we have to put all the evidence and theories out there, especially Mm. with the case this peculiar. Brian was supposed to receive between $20,000 and $30,000 from his mom's life insurance policy after her death. Mm. But he disappeared right before he was going to get the money. Mm. So Randy and Derek, they each got their $30,000 share, and then they split Brian's money on top of that. 
And with these sort of cases, you have to look into the possibility that his family wanted him to gone to potentially get more money. It's always a life insurance. Always, in all these yes. cases. <laughs> Even, like, you see, um, you see couples who are married for right. 50 years, nothing, there's no uh, signs of abuse, no nothing right. going on, and then all of a and sudden, all of a sudden, one the money takes over. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know. I don't really like this one. I don't, to me, Derek really seems like he's not involved. Yeah. Regardless of what Brian's relationship was with Randy's his dad's name, right? Regardless Randy. of that. Especially if they have intentions of hanging out after this conversation with the father. To me, it doesn't seem like... Like they're... That their relationship is strange just because him and the father's relationship is strange. That makes sense. And also, I don't know. To me, in this kind of situation, it would be Brian who has issues with the father, not the father having issues with Brian. So it doesn't really seem like there'd be any motivation for Brian to do that. Yeah, that's true. Like it's You mean for Randy to do that? Right, for Randy to do that. For Randy to make, like, Brian disappear? Right, it doesn't make sense, even regardless of the $30,000 that you may, or the $15,000 if you're splitting it, that you may receive. It seems like, also, if you're going to a dinner, you seem like you want to resolve these issues, like you're looking forward to a future where you can try to solve it. Yeah. So to me, I don't know, I don't really think that they were super involved at all. Yeah, And it seems like they were public figures in the media after yeah they were like actively especially because um after they found out that he went missing remember randy was searching rivers right going to psychics and everything exactly that's another thing so he's obviously very upset and grieving you wouldn't be doing all of that if you were involved in it anyhow i mean but with everything there's a two-way street because you have some people on one side saying oh he's grieving he he was hurting too right and then you have other people saying maybe he was just trying to be more in the spotlight and help out with the case to not look as suspicious which which is understandable for him being in like search parties and things like that but he wouldn't be taking money out of his own pocket to go to a psychic yeah. and things like that if it was just for publicity he would just take part in the search parties be interviewed by the police and that would be the end of it yeah and i agree with you i don't believe this theory i just thought it was yeah. interesting because of the timing it was well yeah weird. it's understandable it yeah. just seems like it's terrible terrible timing for the two things to line up yeah now one thing that meredith did say which police found very interesting in hindsight is that brian paid for all his drinks in cash that night mm-hmm. now randy his father went on record saying that he never saw brian pay anything in cash he mm. always used credit or debit card mm. all 27 years that he was living he never saw his son use cash for anything. yeah there was train tracks very close to ugly tuna and freight trains would pass through there every so often if you follow it on a map, the tracks go all the way up to Canada. Mm. And freight trains move very slowly, so it would very be it would be very easy, in my opinion, yeah. for somebody to hop on the train as it was passing. Yeah. And this is very interesting to me, but it doesn't explain how Brian still hasn't been captured on camera leaving the bar. Right. <laughs> if he's still but, in the bar, how is he on a train track? <laughs> but it's still a very plausible theory, and honestly, sure. out of all of them, as the disappearance theories, I, I, if he did disappear of his own accord, this yes. is the most logical one. Yes, if he was just trying to get away and leave, that seems like the route that you would take. Interestingly, Brian's apartment was broken into only about four weeks after he disappeared. Mm. Now, many people suspected that that was Brian. It was him, yeah. However, the locks were not changed, and when Brian disappeared, he had his keys, his uh, wallet, and right. his uh, phone on him. So why would he break into his own yeah, place? Yeah, you don't, you don't really need anything <laughs> left in there anymore. Exactly. Also, authorities have removed most of the stuff in his apartment by this time. And although they never found out the identity of the person who broke in, police consider this an opportunist who saw mm-hmm. Brian's apartment was located on King Avenue. Yeah. And he saw that in the papers, and potentially he thought it would be easier to rob. Yeah, it makes sense. If you know there's nobody there, then obviously it's an easy place to target. But it is still weird. Just the timing of everything is weird in this case. 100%, yeah. 
Although Alexis believes that Brian is dead, Derek believes that his brother is very much alive. Really? Yes. And it's interesting because even those closest with him, you see such polar opposite opinions. And it seems like in this case, even just the public opinion is so opposite each other. Yeah. I mean, to me, it makes sense that Alexis would want to think, I mean, not want to think, but believe that Brian is dead because... She's obviously not going to want to believe that he just up and left yeah. because then you're messing with the future that the two of you were supposed to have together. So yeah. obviously she's not going to think that he would do something like that to her. So it makes sense for her to think that way. And Derek, it makes sense for him to want to think that he's alive, obviously. Yeah, and she actually said in an interview, there's just no way I can even begin to wrap my head around him potentially being alive right. because I don't think he would do that to me. So that makes sense that you yeah. said that. But do you want to know why Derek thinks he's alive? Why? It revolves back around to why Clint didn't take a lie detector test. I was thinking Clint. (laughs) He believes that Clint knows where Brian went and is keeping it a secret because Brian did not Mm, want anybody to know. That makes sense. This would make sense because even if if Clint didn't know where he went or didn't know what was going on, he would incriminate himself because he would fail the polygraph test. Exactly. So if Brian was like, listen, Clint, I'm going to go away. Like, I need to get away. I need to disappear then the lie detector tech is going to come up that he's lying, that yeah. he doesn't know where Brian is when it's not that he killed him or was involved in anything yeah. that would cause damage or hurt Brian at all, but it would still look suspicious on a lie detector test. Definitely. He would incriminate himself exactly. without really having to. Mm. I was just thinking about this in my own life. What would right. you do in that situation? If it was me and I was like, Shannon, I gotta go. You would have a have to have a damn good reason to disappear for me to keep it a secret. Really? Because I would not be able to like look at your family and your mm-hmm. family's all upset. Like, oh my God, I can't believe Emily's gone. We don't know what happened to her. She might never come back. And mm-hmm. me just sit there and be like, mm-hmm, yeah, for sure. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, I would feel so bad having to sit there and lie mm-hmm. when even if I don't know where you are, if I know you're alive I can't tell your family that you're alive like that would kill me I mean obviously if you're trying to get out of a dangerous situation yes I would lie for you okay but if it was just oh I need to quit school (laughs) and like I don't want to get married to the person that I'm like dating then I'd be like "Mm, I don't know if I could do that for your family (laughs) no that makes sense but I also don't know what I mean if this theory is true I don't know what Brian's situation was you know right there might be something more serious underneath exactly that Clint like has to keep it a secret so i can understand why people think that but like it would have to be a really stinking good reason for me to keep that secret yeah but regardless of which theory you believe at the end of the day none of them really makes sense because on on paper brian never left the bar he's that night. still in the stinking bar exactly yes. <laughs> so, well yet he's not inside either and that, like that doesn't make sense to me whatsoever we have all these theories that he's in the Virgin Islands in Canada while he's still in the bar. (laughs) I know, exactly. And authorities said for him to have been able to somehow pass the camera as not being detected, Uh he would have had to go to the bar and scale it out for weeks leading up to it. Right, true. Yeah, he was not a regular, he didn't go to this bar every night. So Uh he he would have had to really, really plan it out. Yeah, he would have to know exactly where the cameras are, exactly when things close, where people are at what times. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't seem like something that he would just do. Exactly. And 10 years later, in 2016, when asked about Brian Schaefer, Detective John Hurst, who is working on the case, mm-hmm. responded, Is Brian alive? There is a possibility he's alive. But if you look at the probabilities that he isn't alive, they are just as great. Mm. Was he murdered? There is nothing we have been able to recover that shows he succumbed to foul play. So again, the probability of that isn't as great as he just walked away. Did he take his own life? Most people who commit suicide want to be found. I would say that is probably in the lower category. Mm. And Detective Hurst ended this interview with, the answers that everyone wants, everyone needs. I don't know if we will ever have them. And it's so Mm -hmm. interesting, because even 15 years after his disappearance, the authorities who have all the evidence 
are still just thinking like the public. Like, he could either be alive or not. Right. The like, people that literally know everything don't know anything. Exactly. <laughs> but I will say that the pro- the authorities, as yeah. well as the general public, mm-hmm. the, the theory that they most support is that Brian left because he wanted to. He disappeared. He left it of his own accord. Right. He's not murdered. Where'd he go? Well, that's their theory. So what is your what is your opinions? I don't know because I don't. I don't even know how he's thinking left the place in the first place. Uh huh. So if he just left on his own accord, well, how the flip did he get out in the first place? Well, yeah, that's like what they're confused about. Authorities. Right. He obviously at least did not go out the main entrance. No. If he went out somehow, it was somehow through the staff exit or some other way. Well, some other way. It was what I was thinking about uh-huh. initially. But they checked all the windows to the bar. They checked the roof. They checked anywhere yeah. that he could have been besides those two exits. And there would have been camera recordings. Of yes, any there's of that. no sign that he would have been on any of those. I don't know. Maybe, like, because everyone else is accounted for in the place. So it's not even like he could have disguised himself and pretended he was somebody else. So you would think on the camera it's someone else. But Mm -hmm. there's literally no way he possibly could have done that because we know where literally every single other person was. So I have no idea how he got out of the bar in the first place. (laughs) Anyway, I don't think he committed suicide. I don't think so either. Because at least if he did, it would have been after he left. I don't think it happened in the bar by any means. Um, My original thought that the staff was involved. (laughs) Um... I still see that as a much stronger possibility than most other people probably do. Yeah, that's not a popular, not a super popular theory. Right. I, I'd say the general public, I, like I said, as well yeah. as authorities, just believe that he left the bar that night and walked away. I don't know. I find that hard to believe. I mean, I maybe know. it's just because I don't think I would ever do something like that. Like, even if it got really, really tough for me. Like, I don't know if I would be able to do that to the people around me. But, like, that's just me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't, if somebody else's state of mind is at that point, like, I can't say he what He was also super drunk. Like, you said it could have been a spur-of-the-moment decision. A spur-of-the-moment decision where he was like, you know what, like, I'm over this, and then leaves. But then how does he leave? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, you were saying with the, the idea that maybe he was murdered in the bar, potentially, or yeah. even just died in the bar. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't... I did give you the layout of the bar, but not, like, you know, extensively. Mm-hmm. Inside the bar, it's just a square room. So it's yes. not like there's any nooks and crannies. Where and, you would hide somewhere and do yes. something like that. And also, the bathrooms, um, it's not like like this big bathroom mm-hmm. and even if it was like it's a bar so i feel like it would always be crowded oh 100 percent, yeah but the bathrooms are just kind of like bathroom stalls like they're they're small yeah it's a small area where you could have gone to so it's not like he could have died in a bathroom and nobody mm-hmm. would have noticed and like i wish there was like staff that saw him when he re-entered like there's mm-hmm. nothing like that like a bartender or the person like security trying to get people out of the bar no. like there's he just walked into the bar and then literally vanished yeah i mean i guess there's a possibility that he didn't go back in the bar like a very small one yeah but like yeah i like there's literally no other explanation for it because he obviously didn't go down the escalator again no he didn't so and this is a building so maybe he went somewhere else in the building but still then he would have went down the front escalator yeah either way like he would have ended up on camera somewhere exactly as or on the street or something like that so i don't know i do feel like somehow it's possible for him to have gotten out to the construction site without being seen. I understand that I'm being told that that's not true, but he's obviously not in the bar. Yeah. So somehow he got out without being on camera, whether mm-hmm. it was free will he just walked out or somebody took him out or anything like that. Like there's obviously a way that he got out somehow. And I don't think it would be through the front. It would obviously have to be something through the back. Okay. So he obviously got out somehow. He's not just still sitting in the bar. <laughs> How he did it without being caught on camera, I have no idea. I know, me neither. Which would put him in the construction site somewhere. I, I, obviously, he's not still in the construction site. I mean, yeah, that's one of the If theories, he left but, alive, yeah. obviously, he's not still in the construction site. I just don't see how 15 years could have gone by and he was just still in the construction <laughs> site and his body was never found yeah, ever. I sense. don't see that happening. 
but then, so it's possible <laughs> that after he got to the construction site is when he changed out of a situation, like took some, hmm. found somebody's clothes, took something from the construction site that got him into disguise, and then he would have been yeah, on camera. Yeah, I didn't think of that. That's that's a potential uh, like, thing. Uh, that's the only way. Like he had to be wearing something else if he wasn't caught on camera on the street. So yeah. maybe he got into the construction site, took some kind of uniform, something like that, and was able to switch out, and that's how he was on the street. That's smart. I never thought about that. That's the only way I see him getting out and just walking out because like i said obviously he would have been wearing the exact same thing people would have known what it looked like Mm -hmm. and do i i don't i don't know if he's alive yeah because even if even if he left drunk on his own accord and he was alive at that point like it all he had was cash apparently not even his credit card with him i think he had it with him but he wasn't using them right but still if he he obviously hasn't used his credit card since then otherwise it would have pinged and people would have been able to see that he had used it so he had whatever cash he had on him to survive with. He's drunk, clearly. So even if he was alive when he left, like, how long can you can survive on that? You know what I mean? Yeah, unless he did jump on, like, a freight train and go somewhere, but I don't know. Yeah, but then once you get in the candle, where are you going? Exactly. <laughs> what do you think about his phone pinging? It's and so weird to me. Yeah. It's so suspicious to me that his phone pinged. What do you think is going on with that? I mean, it le- whether that's him or not... I don't think it's a technical glitch. Yeah. Somebody, what's possible to me, what, it, instead of it just being, oh, it had to have been somebody that kidnapped him or something like that, he lost his phone somewhere, somebody picked it up, and that's where it got put on somewhere, like the another person that took it, mm-hmm. that's how it pinged off. Oh, that's interesting. So whether it's, I don't, I don't really think it's him, especially because it's so close. Yeah. Since he's only 14 so miles. close. Yeah. Like he would have, people in that immediate area, 100% would have recognized him. At some point, somebody would have. Mm-hmm. So I don't really think if he left, he would have stayed that close. So I think what probably happened is that somebody he lost his phone somewhere along the way. Or it died, so he didn't need it anymore. And if he doesn't want to be found, he's obviously going to try and lose his phone somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then that's the person that just found it and picked it up. That's interesting. And then just wasn't using it. And then maybe he was going to sell it for parts or something like that. So he charged it to put it on, make sure it works, so that he could sell it. Yeah, I know. It's also just weird, because I feel like if he was murdered... Like, that's why I lean towards he's alive. And I think that's why authorities do, too. Mm-hmm. Because if he was murdered, I feel like something would have turned up. Right, because maybe I, not even his body, but something—his his wallets, his keys, yeah. something. And to me, like when something like that happens in a bigger city, it makes me. Even though it's a bigger city, and you would think that would make it less likely that somebody would be found, since it's a bigger city, you've got to think like the police force is more budgeted. Yeah. Like the FBI and stuff would be more looking into things that happen in big cities that are popularized that much. So even though he's in a bigger city, I still think there's an even higher chance than some of the other cases that he would have been found if he was killed. Yeah, I agree. So if you listening have any theories, please let us know. This is honestly one of the most, honestly, it might be the most frustrating missing persons case I ever covered. Yeah, like, even though there are theories that I lean towards, there's none that I'm like, oh, yeah, for, like, that's the one that I really feel strongly about. Because there's no theory that answers everything. Right, so usually, even if things are unsure and you don't really know, there's a theory that I'll be like, yeah, this is the one that I think is the most believable. Like, there's literally not even one for this one. Yeah. And if you have any information regarding this case, please contact the Columbus Police Department at 877-645-8477. Or if you do not want to talk directly with the police, you can submit your tip to the Central Ohio Crime Stoppers at stopcrime.org or call them at 614-461-8477. Hey queens, welcome back to the second half of this week's episode. So unlike Emily's half of the episode, 
The conspiracy half of this episode will not be a part two continuation from last week's. If you're interested, last week we talked about the poltergeist curse from the trilogy films. So if you're interested in that, definitely check out last week's episode. However, even though this week is not a continuation, I wanted to keep it a similar topic so that there'd be a similar theme between the two episodes. So this week I will be talking about the Dybbuk box and a film inspired by these boxes called The Possession. Hmm, I never heard of this. I had never heard of it either. Um, it's a you know spooky haunted story like last week's episode was. So it's a real box or it's just made up? It is real. Okay. The item itself is real, whether it's haunted or not, you know, up to debate. <laughs> but it is a real box. It's not like a movie that was made up or a story that was made up. Now, before I get into the movie or even the box itself, I'm going to talk about the lore and mythology around what a Dybbuk actually is. Now, the idea of a Dybbuk first appeared in the 16th century. However, it was popularized by playwright S. Ansky in his play The Dybbuk or Between Two Worlds in 1922. The word itself is derived from the Hebrew word meaning evil. Now, this word and idea is a Jewish tradition. And realistically, it's a folklore. It's not like you can find Dybbuk in the scripture or anything like that. But it is, you know, just a superstition that they may have. Okay. So, as I was saying, in Jewish folklore, the Dybbuk represents a malicious, evil spirit of someone that has already passed away that is wandering the world still. This spirit then attaches itself to a living person, therefore possessing them. Is it people who are murdered? No, it's... Oh, the spirits themselves? It could be people that were murdered. It's people that were... Like, they're malicious, so they have some kind of reason to still be on Earth. That you know makes what sense, I mean? yeah. So it's not a one specific person that it's the same for every Dybbuk, mm-hmm. but it's still a person that had passed away. Now, this idea of them possessing people is connected to the meaning of the word Dybbuk ex- itself, which is actually an abbreviation for the Hebrew word that means a cleavage of an evil spirit, and a Dybbuk is said to cleave to someone's soul. The results of this happening to a living person appears as severe mental illness, complete loss of control of what they are saying, as it would be the spirit speaking rather than the person itself, and they become an alien, separate person from themselves. Okay. Now, it is worth mentioning that the belief of a Dybbuk, like I said, is not an adamantly held belief by the Jewish people. It's just a tale, a folklore, and it's just created by the culture itself, because when I was looking at some articles about the Dybbuk, it did say that some Jewish people don't like how, you know, media attention and like just a silly story that it's been turned into a lot of times. So Mm -hmm. I figured it's worth mentioning. It's not some real religious belief that they have. So now I'm going to get into what the Dybbuk box specifically is. The box in question is not actually a box. <laughs> it's a wine cabinet. Damn, I thought, I thought it was going to be a box. Right, just like a cardboard box. Yeah, that would have been more like fun. Like a Pandora's box yeah. situation. But I will post a picture of the cabinet, and I'll show you a picture of the cabinet. It's just, it looks like a creepy, like, antique kind of thing. So it does have a haunted, creepy vibe to it. <laughs> so the Dybbuk box itself, or at least its popularization, is a recent phenomenon as the wine cabinet was not talked about up until 2001. And it really only became popular in 2003. So how long was this around for before that? So the wine cabinet itself is much older than when it was talked about. I'm going to get into who first owned it to get you an idea of where it originally came from. So the wine cabinet is question was not created in 2001. 
Rather, it was bought at a yard sale in 2001 in Portland, Oregon by Kevin Manis, by the granddaughter of a Polish Holocaust survivor. Hmm. So he bought it at a yard sale where a person that was a granddaughter relative of a Holocaust survivor. And the Holocaust survivor is the person that was the original owner of the cabinet. It was somebody that lived in Poland, had escaped Poland, was the only one in her family that was able to escape the camps there, lived in Spain, and then in Spain is where she got the cabinet itself. So Kevin, the person that bought the cabinet, was a writer and a professional, like, he refurbished furniture. like he owned an antique store. Before I say this next part and a few other parts, obviously a lot of this story is word of mouth and legend. You know, you have to take it by what these people say happened to them. So, you know, take Take it with a grain of salt. (laughs) You have to because, I mean, there's so many cases of weird things happening with this box that it's hard to imagine that every single one of them is made up. So that's why it still freaks me out. But, you know, just keep that in mind. (laughs) Okay, back to the story. So before actually buying it, Kevin realized that the cabinet was a family heirloom. And he offered to allow them to keep it instead of purchasing it. Mm-hmm. He even said, like, I'll, you can keep the money. I just don't want to take this from you if you've had it in your family for this long. And the granddaughter that was selling the cabinet said, quote, we don't want it. Oh, no. <laughs> right. It's out of, like, a movie. Uh-huh. And she said that it had never been opened because her grandmother was so adamant about never opening it. Don't touch it. They kept it in their attic or their basement. I don't remember which one away from everything. The grandmother don't go near it, the whole Mm. thing. So she said, we don't want it. (laughs) You can take it. Now, up until that point, like I said, the box had not been opened, but Kevin obviously did end up opening (laughs) it after he purchased it. There were several random things inside, But it's not really the things that were in the box that are odd. It wasn't anything that was, oh, this is weird. This is something that shouldn't be in here kind of thing. But who put it in there originally? Because it hasn't been opened, right? Right. It would have been whoever made the box or owned the box before the grandmother owned it. That's insane. Right. Because she said that she had never opened it. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah. So this was very old stuff that would have been. But like I said, it's not the items in particular that were in the box that freaked them out. It's the box itself. Yeah. Now, here are some of the things that he claimed happened while he was in possession of the box. Now, his story has been at its core the same throughout the entire time he's been telling it. However, some details have changed while time has gone on. And some of his employees that, remember, he worked at an antique store. So some of the people that worked with him have refuted some of his claims. But the core of what he said happened has stayed consistent. It's just the little details around it. One incident soon after he purchased it involved his employee, Jane, who was the salesperson at his antique shop. When alone there one day, she was in the basement where the box was being kept and claims that glass shattered, like light bulb glass shattered. The lights that she knew she had previously turned off were now on again. Suspecting an intruder, Jane Jane called Kevin and asked him to come back to the store. When Kevin arrived... The door that led into the basement was locked and all the light bulbs had been shattered. Mm. So this made it seem like there's not an intruder because all everything is still locked and all the lights are off now. Jane cursed him out as soon as he arrived and never (laughs) returned to the store. (laughs) And Kevin, as much as this was odd, blamed it on Jane at the time. Didn't think that it was something connected to the box because 
there was no logical explanation for it to be an intruder. And this is believable because there's two people involved. And they right. clearly weren't going to work together to, like... Yeah, clearly at the time, they were not friends with each other. So yeah. if it's two people that are saying this odd thing happened, then kind of believable. So, like I said, Jane never returned <laughs> to the store. Uh, however, this is not the last of the incidences that happened with Kevin. He also claims that after gifting the box to his mother as a gift... She opened the box and immediately suffered a stroke. Oh, damn. Yeah. Did he gift it to her because he was scared of it? Well, uh, (laughs) I mean, it it didn't seem like that was. I think he was going to give it to her anyway. I'm sure he probably didn't want it on his hands anymore. (laughs) Maybe it was in the back of his mind. But it did seem like that was the maybe even the intentions when he got it to give it to her. But I watched a video of her like explaining what happened and she said basically she opened the box and she put her hand in to the box and she just like felt a coldness Mm. and just i guess felt the spirit i guess and she said that she and she suffered a stroke and when he came out she wasn't able to speak or anything like that she was just completely in a haze when he came back out to help her but she survived it like afterwards yes so after suffering nightmares consistently also after purchasing Kevin finally decided to place the box on eBay. It was purchased by, which, you know, I would try to get rid of that thing, too. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> it was purchased by Brian Gubbs and his college roommate, Sam. At first, everything seemed fine. They even showed it off at house parties. Remember, they're in college. So yeah. They just thought this was, like, a funny thing to buy. However, soon, all of their electronics started bugging out. And since Sam had begun to record in a blog what weird occurrences were happening with the box... He started describing that he felt reclusive and cold all the time. They also suffered suffered a bug infestation during the time that they had the box mm. and described bug being all over the box, bugs <laughs> being all over. Just It seemed like the box was the center, and then they were spreading out from there. I don't like bugs, so we're not going to get to that. <laughs> but, yeah, so they suffered a bug infestation. All of their electronics were dying. They also mentioned things similar to the first one, how light bulbs and lights were going out and shattering. So, obviously... They also did not want to hold on to the box. (laughs) So they also ended up putting it up on eBay and sold it to Jason Haxton, who is the person that is most closely associated with the box nowadays. Haxton was the director of the Museum of Osteopathic Medicine in Missouri. Didn't know there was a museum for that, but there is. (laughs) Originally, he planned to give the box to a friend that was an illusionist. However, as a person of science... He decided to keep it and see if there was any scientific explanation for the phenomena that was happening to the previous owners. As soon as Haxton had the box, he began to face very similar effects that the previous owners had. His computers and other electronics began crashing. People around him very suddenly began feeling very sick. And him and other people around him began having very descriptive nightmares. Was he the last owner of the box? Yes, he okay. still has possession of the box now. Okay, and do we know if the uh, the Holocaust survivor who owned it first? Do you know if he was the first owner? It, no, it would have been somebody before it. Okay, because all the stuff was in the box before she opened it. Yeah, like she never opened it, and all there was still stuff in the box. So obviously there was somebody that owned it beforehand. But was that the person who made it though? Uh, that's I can't confirm we don't know. that. Okay. Yeah, we know that it originated from Spain, just based off of the design of it. So it probably was somebody made it and sold it directly to her, but that's, we can't like confirm hundred percent who owned it before them. So Haxton, like I said, is still the owner of the box. However, he does not keep it at his house, which (laughs) smart (laughs) or his business. 
any longer after one particularly bad episode where he vomited mucus and blood after trying to cleanse himself of the evil spirits of the box. Mm. He, like, visited a rabbi to try to get the evil spirits away, I guess, and then he went back to his house to take a ritual bath, it said, and that's where he just started feeling completely sick. He started vomiting mucus, blood. It said he had welts on his body at Mm -hmm. several points while he owned the box, like, in his house. So... He also allowed Zach Baggins, the guy that hosts Ghost Adventures, <laughs> they did a whole episode on this box, he, they allowed him to display it at his museum. However, it is now, after being shown to rabbis in the hope of getting the spirits out, sealed and buried in an undisclosed location. So he is still the owner of the box. However, he doesn't actively keep it around him. Okay. Now, like I said before, there was a film about the box itself. It was released in 2012 called The Possession. It's directed by Sam Raimi and stars Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Mm. And which both of those very, very famous. So like it was a popular movie. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> Sam Raimi is the guy that directed Spider-Man. Okay, I don't Jeffrey know Dean Morgan is the guy that plays Negan on The Walking Dead. The guy with the bat with the nails around it. I don't know what that is. No? Okay. Well, I know the, what The Walking Dead is, but I've never right, seen any right. of that. Yeah, but that's who those people are for context or anyone else. <laughs> So it is not a story about one particular owner. It's not like Haxton's in the movie. It's not like Kevin's in the movie. It's more of a collection of different stories that people have heard about Dybbuk boxes, and then they've put the stories all together. Now, I say boxes (laughs) because after the first one became popular, more of them began to pop up. Of course, they all have to be questioned a little as they might have been looking for media attention Mm, because obviously... After they realized how popular the first one was going to become. Oh, well, I suddenly have a haunted box now, too. (laughs) So I think it's fair to say that if there is one, it's believable for there to be more than one. However, I wouldn't trust, like, the hundreds that you could probably find on eBay now. Because people just consistently sell them on eBay now, and I wouldn't really trust them. Yeah, that makes sense. Like I said, if we do believe that there is for sure at least one, then it would make sense for there to be another. Um, And this box now, where'd you say it was? It's sealed and buried by Haxton. Can we go to it, or do you know where it is? No, it's he's the one that buried it. Like oh, okay. people don't know where it is. It's probably him and whatever rabbi tried to cleanse it, and hmm. that's it. And probably the guy from Ghost Adventures. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably about it. So it's not like something that you can go visit. Like oh, I said, wow. at one point it was in a museum. Yeah. But now it's separated, and because he doesn't want other people experiencing the things that he's experienced, basically. Hmm. Yeah. So, back to the film. <laughs> There were, just like the Poltergeist movies, a lot of odd occurrences that were happening on the filming of the set. I bet. The thing that is the most freaky, since it was so similar to the things that happened with the real box, was that lights would constantly burst on the set. Jeffrey Dean Morgan even said that it always seemed to happen while they were filming very important and key scenes in the movie. The biggest incident that occurred happened shortly after filming wrapped. After all of the props, including the prop Dybbuk box, was put into storage because in case there was reshoots or anything, they needed to use them again. Mysteriously, the storage unit burnt down, Mm. including everything that was inside, so including the replica box. Did they? Oh, it's a replica box. They didn't actually use it for the movie? No, they actually said the director was offered, like Haxton said, you can use the real box in the movie if you want to. The director was too spooked to do it. That makes sense. Which, yeah, I wouldn't really want to use the real one either, so I understand it, but they were too nervous to use the real one. It was offered, but they said no. Now, there was no evidence of arson or an electrical fire, and the cause of this fire is still unknown today. Mm, Creepy. So a little bit odd. Now, 
The last thing about these boxes, this is just a fun side note that I want to mention, is that they are kind of popular again recently because Post Malone <laughs> has said that he had a recent bad luck and he credits it to a visit to the Divic box. Hmm. So he, with the Ghost Adventure guy, <laughs> went to the display for the Divic box. After visiting the box with the Ghost Adventures crew, Post's Rolls Royce was involved in a serious car wreck. He was involved in an emergency plane landing, and although they visited the wrong house, armed robbers tried to rob his home. They ended up going to the wrong home, but they tried to rob his house. So he, I believe it was on Joe Rogan's podcast, went on and said that he accredits all of that string of bad events to visiting the box. He visited this box in particular? Yes. Or another one? Oh, okay. Yeah, because he went with, I don't know if he filmed it when they filmed the episode for the show, but it was with them. So they were visiting the real box hmm. when it was in remember, cause it was in his museum for a period of time. So yeah, that's all the little tidbits I have on this box. I think it's an interesting one because not only about the box, but also that weird things are happening on the set of the movie. Yeah. I don't know if I believe that there's a bunch of these boxes, but I tend to be a believer in like quantity kind me of too. things. <laughs> so there was a couple of odd things that make me believe that there is something up specifically, like you mentioned before, the stroke is that the one thing that bothers me, me the most. Yeah. Cause it was literally immediately she opened the box right after he gifted it to them. And like that's that. when something happens. What are the odds of that? Yeah. And I also think it holds weight because it's not just one owner who's saying all this stuff happened. It's mm-hmm. gone through so many people. Right. And so many of the stories are so similar to each other. The yeah. odd things that are happening, it's consistent between every single owner. So that's all I have on the topic today. I enjoyed doing like haunted, scary stories, like spooky stories. So maybe next time we come around to like Halloween time and stuff like that, I'll do more like this. And if there's any like haunted house, haunted item, whatever, anything like that, that you want us to cover, let me know. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed. Tune in every Friday for more mystery and madness. Bye, queens.